Welcome in once again. Thank you so very much for joining us on today's segment of Making a Difference Through Mentorship. We believe you make a difference one life at a time. And the way that we do that through these podcasts is through principles. We define a principle as a universal law from God's word that's true in any context, situation, environment, or organization. Much like the law of gravity, what goes up must come down. And also we share precepts from God's word. A precept is a guide, a rule, a compass, or words to live and lead by. So once again, thank you very much for joining us on today's segment of Making a Difference Through Mentorship. Over the next couple of weeks, we want to talk about servant leadership. And today, specifically, servant leadership, the place of beginning. In the Message Bible of John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17, this is what the Lord says to us. Then he said, Jesus is talking. Do you understand? He's talking to his disciples. Do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand, this is what Jesus is saying to them, saying to his disciples, if you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. The 12 disciples that Jesus called, he wanted them by the precepts and principles of what he was teaching them over a three-year period. He wanted them to understand, if you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. What the Lord wanted for his disciples then is what he wants for us now, and that's to live a blessed life. So Jesus provides us with four principles in John chapter 13 for us to practice in order to be authentic servant leaders, which is the place of beginning. Number one, Jesus said, understand my example. He uses the word understand twice in John 13, 12 through 17. Then there is the second principle, the requirement of washing each other's feet. Then he said, follow the pattern and then you will discover greatness by serving. That's a powerful uh, four uh, pattern principles or precepts for us to follow. So the word understand in the first principle or concept in John 13 can be translated as to perceive with the mind. In Philippians 2 and 5, Paul sets Jesus before us as the example of the type of attitude we should have. So Paul says in the New King James Version, let this mind, allow this mind to be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's our choice. We have to make the choice to let the mind of Christ be in us. Or as a new international version of Philippians 2 and 5 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. If we are to be servant leaders, our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, designs, and desires for life and ministry must be immersed in Jesus' example. So Paul says in Philippians 2 and 5 in the New International Version, in your relationships with one another. Relationship simply means relate to me on my ship. If you're going north and I'm sailing south, we'll never be able to establish a relationship. So Paul says in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, a mind that is set 
as Jesus Christ's mind was set. The word mind in the original Greek carries the meaning of that part of our human existence that initiates thoughts, emotions, designs, and desires to set the mind upon. Jesus commands his disciples to follow his pattern in John 13 with the second principle, which is a requirement of washing each other's feet in the 14th verse. A requirement is something that is necessary, inescapable, unavoidable, and non-negotiable, something that must be done. Jesus chose the 12 disciples not because they were perfect men, but because they could be perfected. Jesus would perfect them by filling them with the Holy Spirit. In English, something that is perfect is complete and without defect or blemish, precisely accurate or exact. James, in the English Standard Version, speaking of being perfect or perfection, carries the idea of spiritual maturity because none of us in our English definition of uh, being accurate or exact, complete without defect or blemish, none of us in our humanness will ever arrive at that state. But James, in the English Standard Version of James 1 and 4, says that the idea of perfection carries the idea or concept of spiritual maturity. As believers and servant leaders, we are encouraged to pursue perfection, which is maturity. So Psalm 118, Psalm 18 and 30, and let steadfast have and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is James 1 and 4. David declares in Psalm 18 and 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. That's the English Standard Version of Psalm 1830. By teaching and training by example of servant leadership, Jesus knew that the disciples would be transformed from immaturity to maturity by the renewing of their minds, as declared in Romans 12 and 2, to renew their minds about how they thought about each other, including the requirement of washing one another's feet because maturity always includes authentic humility, not thinking more highly of oneself than we ought to. The principles of John chapter 13 are a platform that Jesus used to develop his disciples into servant leaders by first learning how to serve one another. Prior to his ascension to heaven, Jesus says to his disciples, you shall receive power. In the Amplified Version of Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. In Mark the 10th chapter, verses 35 through 45, history records for us Jesus and his disciples as they are now approaching Jerusalem. The brothers James and John, the sons of thunder, asked Jesus a question in the New Living Translation when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Come on, Jesus, make that happen for us. The brothers did not ask Jesus to be servants in the kingdom. They did not ask Jesus to use them for his glory. They asked Jesus for honor, power, prestige, and position. In the New English translation of Mark 10, 41, the Bible says, now when the other 10 heard this, they became angry with James and John. The other disciples undoubtedly wanted these positions 
themselves. All the disciples, apparently, in their humanness, just like it can be for us, had selfish ambitions instead of serving selflessly. In this human struggle for position, power, and prestige, the biblical evidence suggests that the disciples may have thought, What's is, what, what is there for me in all of this? So they then asked, so the question was then asked, who would be the greatest? Jesus replies, whoever wants to be come first among you, Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28 in the New Century Version, Jesus replies, whoever wants to become first among you must serve the rest of you like a slave. That word slave is literally translated as a bond slave, one that is in bondage, locked into their master's will. No options, no opinions. The only thing a slave, a bond slave could do was to obey their master. This is the same concept that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. If you want to be first among you, you must serve the rest of you like that like a slave. Verse 28, in the same way, the son of man did not come to be served. He came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many people. Jesus paid the ransom for our lives to God. That ransom was his own life, the shedding of his own blood. Because of Jesus, we too offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The scripture reminds us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice in Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And the Amplified Version says our spiritual service. So we too, as Jesus did, must offer ourselves as living sacrifices if we're going to be authentic servant leaders. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 in the Amplified Bible, you were bought with a price. You were exactly purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then honor and glorify God with your body. This brings us to the third principle for practice in John 13 for becoming a servant leader as we glorify and honor God with our bodies, which is to follow the pattern. A pattern may be defined as a guide, a form or model proposed for imitation so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul had the nerve and the boldness to say because of the life that he had committed unto God. He said, you can imitate me as I also imitate Christ. The New Life version of 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 declares, follow my way of thinking as I follow Christ. The Apostle Paul understood that it was not enough to just follow his example, but also to think like him as he followed and thought as Jesus thought about the kingdom and advancing the kingdom of God in the earth. In the New Life version of Luke 17 and 21, Jesus says, it will not be said, see here it is or there it is, for the kingdom of God is, in, is within you. As servant leaders following the pattern, the example of Jesus, we become the fulfillment of 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus says in John 8 and 12, I am 
the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Darkness is a symbol of ignorance or a symbol of wickedness. The devil wants to keep people in the dark. But you and I as servant leaders have been called by Jesus to be a city, a light that sits on a hill whose light cannot be hid. As children, many of us will recall this song that we used to sing, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine everywhere I go. I'm going to let it shine. As servant leaders, our light ought to shine. When our light shines, we can go into a into a situation or circumstance where there's nothing but darkness, where there's conflict and confusion and chaos. As the light of the world, as we follow the pattern of Jesus' example, we too become the light that dispels the darkness because we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and we've been called to be servant leaders serving the cause of the kingdom or the kingdom agenda, which is to seek and save those that are lost. Peter is reminding the church in 1 Peter 2 and 9 how valuable we all are to God when he says you are a chosen generation, which also emphasizes God's ownership of us all. In John 15 and 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Throughout history, God has claimed for himself a people to be his very own. That's you and me because we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And as servant leaders following the pattern of Jesus Christ, as those that have been chosen, appointed and anointed, selected and elected, we are to bear fruit that will abide, that will remain. But what kind of fruit are we called to bear? We're called to bear the fruit of Christian character, Christian conduct that ultimately results in Christian converts. The fruit of Christian character is described for us, as many of you already know, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 in the English Standard Version, where the fruit produced in us is by the Holy Spirit's presence in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we ever learn to control ourselves, which is control our souls, Paul further says in Romans 8 and 14, they that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. That word led is ego. We're either led by the ego of the Spirit or the ego of our souls or our personality. Our personality must reflect the person of Jesus Christ, that by the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the qualities or attributes of Christian character, Christ-like character. As servant leaders, following the pattern of Jesus Christ as those that have been chosen, appointed, and anointed, we're called to bear the fruit of Christian conduct, our behavior, so Paul says in Colossians 1, 10 and 11, we are chosen to lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as we bear fruit in every good work. Christian character will always produce Christian conduct. If we have the spirit of Christ living in us, following the pattern of Jesus, then he will produce Christ-like conduct through us. 
In addition to Christian character and Christian conduct, we should bear the fruit of Christian converts following the kingdom agenda where Jesus said he came to seek and save those that are lost. People should convert to the Christian faith in part because of the character and conduct they see in us. This poem that I discovered many years ago has helped me tre tremendously concerning the character and conduct of Christ in us. This little poem it simply says, your life, my life is writing a story, a chapter each day by the deeds that we do, by the words that we say. People will read what our life writes, whether faithless or true. And what becomes your life story is really up to you. Our life story may never become a New York Times bestseller. Our life story may never be uh, 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 printed on Amazon or in Barnes and Nobles, but our life story will be read of men and women in our families, on uh, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in the in our workplaces. People will read what our life writes, and they ought to be able to read the character and conduct or behavior of Christ in and upon our lives. In the expanded Bible version of John 14 and 12, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth, whoever believes in me will do the same things that I do. Those who believe will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. They will do greater things because all believers, not just Jesus, will have the Holy Spirit living in them and empowering them. What did Jesus mean that we would do greater works than he? Without a doubt, the works of Jesus' followers would be greater in extent because Jesus' earthly ministry had been largely limited to Galilee and Judea. Yet in Matthew 28, he gives us the great commission. He says to his disciples, we're going to extend Jesus' ministry influence to the uttermost parts of the earth throughout the boundaries of the entire world. The point to be made for us as servant leaders today is that even after Jesus' earthly ministry ended, as he ascended to heaven in Acts 1, 9, and 12, his work of advancing the kingdom would go on, going on through you and me as followers of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who would continue to help and heal people. Oh, glory to God, the gospel through you and I will have a worldwide impact, an impact and your world begins in your family. It, it begins and continues in your workplace, in your neighborhood, where your children play. As God's servants praying in Jesus' name, answers will come in the greatest miracle of all, the spiritual transformation of a sinful heart through faith in Jesus Christ will become commonplace to the glory of God through you and I as we serve the cause of the kingdom, which is to seek and save those that are lost. This becomes reality in our respective places of ministry because you and I bear the fruit of Christian character, Christian conduct, which ultimately produces Christian converts. The fourth and final principle to practice in John chapter 13 for us as servant leaders is greatness by serving. What makes a man or a woman great? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, in the New Century Version, Whoever wants to become great among you must serve the rest of you like a servant. Verse 27, whoever wants to become first among you must serve the rest of you like a slave. Remember, as we stated earlier, a bond 
slave in bondage to the will of their master with no opinions, no rights of their own must serve. If you go become great, you must serve the rest of you like a bond slave, a slave. Verse 28, in the same way, the son of man did not come to be served. He came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many people. And I would also add to you, if you're going to be great, if you and I are going to be great from Jesus description and definition of greatness, what makes a man or woman great must begin by first being a great person. It's not the title, tag, or position. It's being a great person saturated in the character uh, in the character and conduct behavior of Jesus Christ. To serve like a servant in the giving of our lives, as, discussed, as Jesus discussed in Matthew chapter 20, will also do, require a dedication to the Living Bible version of Matthew 22, 37 and 39, where Jesus tells a young man, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And as I thought about verse 39, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, the tragedy for many people today is that how can you love your neighbor as you love yourself if you've never fully discovered how to love yourself? It's not a matter of uh, eagle, egotistical, an egotistical attitude or approach about who you are. It's not a matter of mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the greatest uh, of them all. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. But the pathway to loving yourself is to understand how much God loves you. And the practical pathway for us to accomplish this is Jude 21, where God says, keep yourself in the love of God. That word keep is a term of incarceration. It's a prison term. And you and I have the key. Your husband can't keep you locked in the love of God. Your wife can't keep you locked in the love of God. Your pastor, your best friend, your prayer partner, your co-worker can't keep you locked in the love of God. You've got the key yourself. And the key is having faith in God. No matter what the trauma or drama, adversity or hardship arises, you've got the key. And the key is having faith in God's word to keep yourself locked in the love of God. What's the love of God? It is Galatians chapter five, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, and self-control. When you know that I'm locked in the love of God, no weapon that's formed against me will ever be able to prosper. It doesn't mean that the weapons won't form, but it simply means they won't be able to reach beyond the boundaries and borders of God's love for you. Keep yourself locked in the love of God. Then you'll be able to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Jesus says in John 13 and 17, if you understand what I'm telling you by washing one another's feet, this is the pathway to living a blessed life, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, obeying God's word and following his instructions. Second John 1 and 6 in the Amplified Bible declares, and this is love. 
that we walk in accordance with his commandments and are guided continually by his precepts. Remember, we define a precept as a rule, a guide, a compass, director and governor, words that we can live and lead by. We can live and lead our lives and ministry by the precepts of God's word. And this is love that we walk in accordance with his commandments and are guided continually by his precepts. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning that you should always walk in love. Psalm 119, 1 through 7 in the New Living Translation further declares, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Verse number two, joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Verse three, they do not compromise with evil and they walk only in God's path. Verse four, God, you have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Verse number five, David says, oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees, your laws, your precepts. Verse six, then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. Verse seven, as I learn your righteous regulations, your precepts, your principles, I will thank you by living as I should. My God, help us today to serve like a servant in the giving of our lives in ministry means we must love like God loves and obey what he says. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. The principles of John chapter 13 are platform that Jesus used to develop his disciples into servant leaders by first learning how to serve one another. As it was with the disciples, so it is for you and me. Jesus told his disciples in the amplified version of Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of every bounds of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit's presence operating in and through us as servant leaders is the essential element of effective, impactful, life-changing ministry wherever God has sent us to serve. This is servant leadership, the place of beginning. And if we understand what Jesus is telling us in John chapter 13, verses uh, 12 through 17, Jesus says in the 17th verse, act like it. Let your behavior promote or declare that you understand. Act like it and live a blessed life.